Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. I hope you are doing well. Today's guest is going to be sharing with us about the customer experience. And when you hear that term, I'm not sure what comes to mind, but the vision for customer experience that is presented today is very holistic and far-reaching, and it doesn't even just affect the customers. It affects the employees as well. I think you're really going to enjoy the insight in this particular episode. Our guest has over 18 years of experience helping clients improve their customers' experience by implementing strategies that focus on people, product, process, and feedback. During her career, she's held several positions within marketing, business development, and executive leadership. She currently serves as the Chief Experience Officer at the CX Edge, a company that was created to serve the business-to-business community by developing and executing customer experience strategies that focus on clients' primary business objectives of increasing profitability by retaining and acquiring new business. Here is Sherry Altergott. Sherry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I always like to start off with a few questions to help us to get to know you as a leader better and give us some really actionable insight from the very beginning. So you ready for these? I am. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Yeah, I've been really fortunate in my life to have some really great mentors. I've also been equally as fortunate to have people that I would not consider good mentors because I learned just as much from the ones that I liked versus the ones that I didn't like as much. But I would say my first mentor who I had the pleasure of working for for about 12 years, he told me something that has stuck with me really my entire career. And I think it's something that we all struggle with. And it comes to the point of why do I have to change and everybody else can do whatever they want. I think when you're in a a business environment, you know, there's different personalities, there's a certain amount of conflict. And there had been a situation with me and another individual where I constantly felt that I was on the defense. I was constantly proving that I was going to do this or I was going to do this. And I got to a point one day in his office and I just, I had kind of had it. And I said, you know, why does it always have to be me that changes? Why can't he change? Why do I have to accept that he's like that and I'm the one that has to change or adjust? And he leaned back and and what he said to me has always stuck with me. And he said, because that person is always going to be in the position that they are. They're never going to be any better. But you have the ability to be better. And if you really want to be a leader and you want to achieve some of your goals, you have to be flexible and you have to adjust your style to individuals that are unwilling 
to change. Because I think we all deal with that. I think we're, we're always like, why does that person get to do this? Or why does this person get to do that? But when you look at it from the perspective of, it's not me giving in, it's me growing and learning to get to the place that I want to be. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I think a, a leader is empathetic, authentic, and honest. And those are really the three principles that I've used to guide my leadership and my experience. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think a leader should always be asking, what can I do to help bring others up with me? What do other people need? What book would you recommend to leaders? One of my favorite books is a book called Servant Leadership by Bob Chapman. It's a fantastic book that really changed part of my perspective of how I look at business and leadership in general. And he talks about how much time we spend at work and that if you have people that are working in an unhappy environment, that they bring that home with them. And now that is taken out in their family and their children. And it starts a cyclical effect with their children. So his point was, if you can make work a positive environment, for everybody that works with you, when they come home, they're happy. And ultimately, they raise more productive children and have a better life and better marriage and therefore affects society to be a better place. And the way that he describes it in his book is really fantastic and a very unique perspective that I had not heard before. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I think it's get out there. You know, I, it's not directly related, as some will say, but it really is networking. The more people you meet and the more that you listen to their experiences, the more you can take with you to become not only a better leader, but I think a better person. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I think it's always better to ask why not. I think we put up too many barriers sometimes and just assume that the answer is no, but I, I think we can achieve more if we ask why not. All right, Sherry. Well, I'm thankful that you're here today because we have an opportunity to hear from someone who has been in the customer experience industry for a number of years and you've recently developed your own business. What was some of the impetus behind you starting off and really helping to help other organizations catch a vision for what their customer experience strategy can be like? So my background has always been in, in sales, marketing, and business development. Um, one of, to me, the primary jobs of a marketeer is to make things easy for people to understand. Um, so at my former company, I left as vice president of customer experience. Um, and really had created that title based on a way to explain what marketing is. So I have a passion for marketing. I, I love marketing. But I can tell you that most people that don't have a background in marketing think marketing is creating social media posts and mm. developing a website. And really, marketing is a much more strategic function than that. So I started looking at maybe an easier way to, under, to explain it to the company in a way that they would understand. So I started talking about it in terms of the customer experience, which is something marketing has always been responsible for. I think we've just never called it that. 
And, you know, over the last 10 years, obviously, customer experience has exploded. Um, and everybody's talking about it, but nobody knows what to do about it. So I, I would do presentations and I would talk about the experience. And the first question I would ask is, who in the room thinks that customer experience is important? And you would see every single hand go up. And then I asked a follow-up question, how many people in this room, if you believe customer experience is important, how many of you have assets dedicated to improve it? And how many of you have strategies designated to work towards improving it? And all, more than half of the hands would go down. And I think that's a big statement because I've always believed you can't say something's important, and not, let alone your most important uh, business issue, if you don't have any resources and any strategies and any goals to, to address it. And as I started talking to people that had lowered their hands during the conversation, it really came out of people not understanding what the experience is, using it as more of this arbitrary thing that, you know, doesn't really have a, a meaning, that it's kind of fluid. And the reality is it is a very specific thing. And there are very specific strategies that you can do to address that. Um, so I had worked for, for 18 years for a, a specific company. I had left um, that position to start my own company, primarily focused on the experience. And the reason really being, number one, there was a huge gap in the market. I think people didn't understand what the experience is, nor did they understand how to explain it and how to address it. And my passion really is that creative element of the experience, that it's not a, a canned approach for every organization. It really is very different depending on the industry the organization is in, depending on the size of the organization. And I think being able to have that creativity to help other companies become better and really serve not only their employees, but serve their marketplace better really makes us better as a society. So Sherry, I realized that for different organizations of different sizes with more or less money, your strategy is going to look a little bit different. But could you begin to peel back the curtain to help us realize what the general anatomy of a good customer experience strategy looks like? So you're absolutely right. That's different for every industry, every size of company. But the four principles of customer experience remain the same no matter what business you're in. And it's people, product, process, and feedback. So if you look at people, people are your team or, or your employees. And there's a few elements to that. Number one, are you hiring the right people? I think we tend to hire on technical ability or experience and don't do as much hiring on the soft skills and the cultural fit within the organization. You can have somebody that's really great at what they do, but they don't fit into your corporate culture. And that is a recipe for disaster. So it's hiring those right people. Secondly, it's training the people on your staff. And, and within your company, training them of what the expectation is. I had done um, what I call a mystery shopping call. And really that is just to kind of check to see how people were answering phone calls. And I can tell you the results of that came back that nobody was rude. Nobody was overtly offensive. Um, but I was on hold for a period of time. There was a lot of background noise. Um, people weren't as open maybe with some of their responses. And I think that comes from not an unwillingness of those individuals to do a good job. It's their lack of understanding of what the company expects 
them to do. And unless you tell your employees what you expect them to do, and then you train them to do that, it's impossible to ever assume you're going to have any consistency in quality. So it's training those employees. And then finally, it's employee engagement. And when I talk about employee engagement, you know, employee engagement is not a pizza party or Hawaiian shirt day. You know, those are sort of niceties, but employee engagement is your employees being emotionally invested in your business. If they are emotionally invested in your business, they will always do right by the company and thereby right by the customer. And I think it really starts there with people. When you go to the next thing and you look at product, Product, number one, has to do to make sure that you're offering the right product to the market and that your product is, is high in quality in line with customer expectations. But it's also a lot of what is considered the traditional elements of marketing. Can people find your website? Once they find your website, does your website have a good user experience? Can they find your phone number? Can they find a, a form? Do you have content on your website that offers people information without selling to them. All of those contribute to the customer experience. When you look at process, and I think it's often one that's forgotten about in the customer experience, do you have the right processes in place for your employees and for your customers? And that really goes to number one, ease of business. Is it easy for them to pay? For your employees, is it easy for them to execute their daily tasks without wasted time and duplicate entry? When you have employees that are stressed out because there are so many steps in certain processes, number one, they're not able to do a good job. Number two, it's taking time away from them being able to service the customer. I work with a lot of organizations that started off maybe as smaller mom and pop organizations, 10 to 15 people. With the growth that we've seen in the economy over the last few years have exploded. And if you're a company that has 10 people, you don't need documented processes because you got one person that sort of does a multitude of tasks. But as you start to grow, and especially if you grow at a quick rate, those processes easily become outdated and antiquated. And I've worked with companies that have been in business over 50 years and they're using these old antiquated processes. And when you ask them why, it's because that's the way I was trained. And so it's looking back at, do you have the right processes in place for your customers to do business with you? But do you have the right processes in place for your employees to execute their job? And then the final element really is feedback. And feedback to me is such a critical place because feedback from your customers and from your employees really becomes your opportunity to improve. I've sat in so many meetings where people assume what customers want or what employees want, but nobody ever bothered to ask them. And I think we can make a lot of assumptions, but you find a lot better information when you ask the people that are interacting with your company. And so it's getting that feedback also allows you to build a measurement for customer experience. How satisfied are your customers? And so I think that's a critical element. And then it really is a full circle effect. Customers that I, I work with, uh, we talk about all four of those elements. We take a look at their business and kind of say, where are the biggest gaps? What can we focus on first? Because what we're talking about is a true cultural change. And that's not something quick or easy to do. Now, when you're explaining these four different areas, people, product, process, and feedback, it sounds like for all of them, there is a, a customer element and an employee element. And what I'm wondering is when you get one right, 
do you usually get the other right? Or are they not necessarily that interconnected and you need to always be focusing on developing both? I think you do need to always be focused on developing both. But if you have to choose a starting point, if you get the people part right, you will always get the customer part right. It does not work in the reverse, meaning you cannot get the customer part right if the people part isn't right. So what have you noticed as you have previously worked as a vice president in your last organization and also as you've been consulting with people, what do you notice about leaders and organizations of these four areas? Are there any that tend to be more important or ones that organizations discount to the detriment of their business? You know, I think that um, I haven't had anybody that's really discounted any element Um, I think it all makes sense, and there's research to back up all of it. I would say what they're most resistant to is the process piece, Um, because that oftentimes can be the most difficult. When you start, and and sort of the process that we do is to start with what we call a process audit, and that's literally just to sit down and watch somebody go through whatever that designated process is. People, employees that do that job, tend to be very standoffish and and hesitant and understandably so it's their job is what they do every day who am i to come in and, and tell them how they do it better how we've helped address that is really to educate the organization first and i think this is a, an issue um, that causes a lot of conflict in organizations is we tend to tell people what they need to do instead of explaining why we need to do it and what's in it for them. Because at the end of the day, everybody is an individual. And the fact that you tell somebody, well, it's better for the company, a lot of times grassroots employees will look at that as saying, well, that's great that, you know, the executive staff gets an extra bonus, but why do I have to do it? You know, so it's explaining why it benefits them as well as the company. So now before doing any process audit, we do, and it's a requirement of an engagement with us, is to do a presentation to all of the staff affected of what the process is, why we're doing it, why it matters to them, and what the ultimate outcome should be. You just mentioned an audit. What does it look like when you go into an organization that is looking to up their customer experience game? What does it look like for you to come in and help them out and to provide that audit? Um, so when I come to audits, we, we really take a look at, we work with the leadership to come up with what are the primary processes that they want to be addressed. I mean, realistically, there are thousands upon thousands of different processes within any given organization, no matter how big or small. But we look at the ones that are most critical and probably the most time consuming. So I can tell you, typically the most critical issue is invoicing. And that's correct invoicing, that's collecting the payment. It's that whole process because that touches, I mean, it financially affects the company, but it really has a huge burden on the customer depending on how you're doing it. Um, so we'll identify kind of the top processes that we feel affect the company the most, that are most critical. We'll break those down. We only focus on one at a time because, like I said, if you do too many at once, you start having too much conflict within the organization. So we'll take one. We'll sit down. And, and honestly, the first day, it's literally sitting with the individual that executes any part of the process and just documenting exactly what they're doing. 
what it gives the company, and once we're kind of done going through that, and we'll sit with everybody that executes the process. And a lot of times you'll see multiple people that have the same job responsibility, but execute it very differently. The problem in this is it leads to an erosion in consistent quality if everybody's doing it different. Plus, future training will be difficult. So we sit down, we look at all the different ways this one process was done, and, and we just lay it out and we say, this is how it is. I always start every engagement with, I, I am in no way here to tell anybody what's a better way to do their job. Most processes I have zero familiarity with. And that's not my role. My role is to guide that process to make them recognize the places that the process can be improved. And when you have it down on paper, and when you have a group of people looking at it, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that they're like, why do we do that? That's a double step. Because when you're in it and you're doing it every day, you don't recognize sometimes how much time is wasted. And having a total outside opinion with really no, I mean, I don't have any invested interest in how they want to do it. You know, it gives this third-party perspective and it allows me to ask questions in a non-authoritative way. Meaning if your boss asked you, why do you do it this way? It comes off, the employee almost gets defensive. If I'm there and I ask, well, why don't you just help me understand why are you doing it this way? And it creates much more open conversation and allows them the ability to start making the changes in the process. So ultimately at the end, it is not me telling them how to modify that process. It's them telling me how they're going to modify the process. And the end result is usually far better than what we started with. So realizing that there are all sorts of different approaches. You can take all sorts of different needs for unique organizations. Are there any 10,000 foot view questions for each of these areas of people, product, process, and feedback that you can give to leaders so they can begin thinking in the right ways in general terms? The biggest questions I get are, I don't even know how to start. Because number one, talking about it holistically that's a huge undertaking for any organization. Like I said, I would never recommend for anybody to do that right off the bat. But I think it starts with doing, really looking internally and saying, and being honest with yourself about what you're doing right and what you can improve on. And that's what we've broken it down into the four different areas because it makes it so much easier to digest. So if we start with people, we start with people as a bucket, but then we look at the three elements of people talent acquisition, training, employee engagement. So once you start breaking it down to that more granular level, it makes it easier to identify strategies. I'm a big goal planner. Um, I believe that nothing can really be accomplished unless you have a goal and that you have strategies to achieve that goal. So we really start with a strategic planning sort of session where we're looking at all three of those granular elements saying what our goal is and then talking about strategies to address that. And I think that's where it really starts. It can't start as words in a mission statement. It can't start as something the president just says when he's giving an employee meeting. I think it has to start with finite strategies that you're making investment towards and that you're all working towards that same goal. Well, Sherry, thank you for joining the podcast today. Now, before we finish up the interview, I'm wondering, are there any things that you would like to reiterate or maybe introduce that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet? 
I think we've covered customer experience really well. Um, I think what you're doing is fantastic. You know, when we talk about leadership, the only thing I, I would say is I think in today's society, we talk about leadership a lot. Um, and I just, I, I, the more that I've mentored people that are kind of coming up in their career, they always talk about wanting to be a leader. And my philosophy is always that we all are put in a leadership role, whether it is that we're managing people or not. Um, if you're a parent, you're put in a leadership role for your children. If you're a sibling, you're put in a leadership role for your brothers and sisters. If you work in a company and you have nobody that reports to you, you can still be a leader within that organization of so many people come to you. So I would just encourage listeners to stop thinking about leadership in the capacity that it's about being an executive or owning a company, that there are elements of leadership that we can all fulfill within our own lives. And sometimes it's personal and sometimes it's at work. I love that perspective. And that is something that from the very introductory episode of this podcast, we've talked about that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you are a leader. The question is, do you realize that? And are you making the most of it? Where can people go to learn more about what you're doing and a little bit more about how you can help other people's businesses in the realm of customer experience? So you can visit my website at cx-edge.com. We're also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the CX Edge. Um, So please follow our social media sites. Check out our website. Um, We always have people available. We do a lot of free consultations um, just for businesses to help set them out on the right track. Um, I love talking to people that are interested in the experience. We love the creativity that comes behind that. So we're always looking for new opportunities to, to make a difference. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate it. So there you go. A good customer experience strategy is going to include the four elements of people, product, process, and feedback. Even if the area of leadership that you have in your life right now is not over a business, I would encourage you to think about how you can apply these four different elements in whatever area you are leading. Now, the three key takeaways I have today are, first of all, if you get the people part right, you will get the customer part right. If you treat your employees well, if you treat your volunteers well, then the people that are coming to you, either as customers or as visitors or whatever else they may be, they will be treated well. But that means you first have to make sure that the people in your organization are being treated right are catching the vision for what you're doing, and are on board with all that you are about. And it's interesting because Sherry said this doesn't go the opposite way. If you get the customer part right, that doesn't mean you're going to get the people part right. So make sure you get the people part right, and the customer part will follow. The second thing is that people tend to be the most resistant to the process piece. So when you're introducing a new process, make sure that you educate everyone in the organization about the process, why you're doing it, why it matters to them, which is a part that I think is easy to not do or easy to overlook. 
And finally, stop thinking of leadership as a position and more as an opportunity that every single person has in their own life. And I love that Sherry shared this at the end, and you heard me say it then in the interview as well. I really appreciate that idea because that is one of the principles that the Life as Leadership podcast is founded on. Now, Make sure that you come back next week because our first interview is going to be with two people who have started an organization that is focused on solving a problem that a lot of people see in our culture, but not many people do much about. It's the issue of people being so focused on their screens that sometimes they don't look around them and pay attention to the people who are really the most important in our lives. I hope you'll join us then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.